Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. taking a turn for the sinister it must mean it's time for another filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO good day to you I'm Nikki Dakota the host joined in the studio by one of the film guys live and in person he is the storyboard artist to all the big stars Coen Brothers 20 years and counting and also friend of the show Big part of the show, J. Todd Anderson. Hello, and make sure you watch No Country for Old Men this week. It's uh, the... The uh, Brothers' latest epic movie. I'm doing a free plug right now. Are you? Great Is it movie. out this week? One of our best. Yeah, one oh. of the best. One of the best. It's out in all theaters near you. I'm hearing nothing but good things. Can't wait to see it myself. Also, here in spirit, and definitely via the phone line, he is the Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress, and also all around... Uh, steel trap of a brain about all things movical, and he is uh, Mr. George Williman. George, welcome. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still getting over Thanksgiving. <laughs> no doubt. Keep in mind, folks, that George's steel trap thing he will chew his leg off to get out of that steel trap occasionally if you try to trap him with a trick question right. uh, no, if he's you very 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 a... tricky he will chew his leg off to get out if, of that if trap. you try to make me watch a michael bay movie i will chew both my legs off <laughs> you know we're having a hard time because we got a cardi around he saw one of those movies last week and... <laughs> i saw the trailer to armageddon and i was in the hospital for four days we are here today. We, uh, we thought it'd be kind of fun to take him to <laughs> Saw. <laughs> oh, I've heard interesting things about that, but maybe we'll get to that one day. Uh, I don't think so on this list. We are gathered here today. Uh, speaking of the list, uh, J. Todd and George keep a list of the perfect movies. That is the yes, perfect, the, the, the bestest, most filmically perfect movies ever made. And uh, our movie today, gentlemen? The Thing. From Another World. Why? Is that to distinguish it from another movie called The Thing, or no, is it actually, just... Well, we'll get to that. All right. <laughs> and it's by who, J. Todd? Well, Christian Nyby is the director, and we're going to get into uh, the fisticuff uh, argument that has gone on for all, a little over 50 years about who directed this movie. All right. But before we get that far, we have to mention that these uh, movies pass a very strict series of criteria, that it is not just some, oh, hey, yeah, we like it today. After it gets through that, it comes to George and I, and then we <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down or thumbs across the throat. Let's one remind one. our listeners of these strict rules, which the movies must pass. Hey, uh, this uh, thing from another world creates the world it exists in. And it totally sustains that world. And regardless of changes in society, it retains its meaning and entertainment value. And it is never placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. This film is perfect by its own standards. There's not one most perfect film. They're just no. all perfect in their own way. We wouldn't have a radio show if we had that. I have to start out by saying I didn't like this film much. Oh, well. <laughs> didn't care for it. Didn't care for it. Well, 
I, I kind of want to ask you why, but we really don't have time. We have to talk about the movie. <laughs> right. And, and we don't really care either. <laughs> and we forgot to mention rule number. Is that uh, five? New rule oh, number yeah, five. rule number five. <laughs> <laughs> if Nikki likes, doesn't like it, engage rule number five, which yeah. is a wet raspberry. Well, um, well. I tell you what. Uh, t- <laughs> Uh, George, if uh, you her would. Reflexes aren't on today. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess we could uh, we could put that Hit on it, there. Spoil. Yeah, here, there we go. Wait a minute. Never get tired Something's of this. coming. Yeah, we yeah. do need to know that uh, that you're going to find out the yeah. ending. Talk about this movie. We got to give away the ending. <laughs> Like nobody's ever seen it. Right. Well, I, you know, I do remember seeing it as a kid. I very distinctly remember seeing it on the local independent channel in Indianapolis as a wee one. And well, they uh, ran this movie a lot during the '60s when there was nothing else on television. It was one of the um, <laughs> no, seriously, that's what they ran on television back in the old days was movies all the time because they didn't have the serial filler they have nowadays. Well, these are the reruns of the of, right. the, of this, the sitcoms. Well, and this comes from the old RKO studios, and they were actually the first uh, major studio to sell their films to television. Oh. So, yeah, so this got shown on television. Also hey, notable that it starts out with, uh, what is it, Smith & Wesson, or what no, is Winchester it? Winchester Pictures. Winchester Pictures was Howard Hawks' uh, independent uh, production company. With with crossed Winchesters crossed there, Winchesters. right? And it looks so bizarre because it looks like it's going to be a Western. Yeah. It does, <laughs> with a rifle gun there right at the beginning. Hey, George, why don't you hit us with a seven-minute summary? Oh, seven minutes? I'm surprised we all do that. I mean, this, that go. this one is, is it's real basic. I mean, the, the story is about a group of scientists who are up at the North Pole just doing research on the Arctic Arctic conditions, and they, their equipment catches something falling from the sky, uh, landing about 50 miles away. So um, a local, uh, there's like an Air Force um, group that, that flies between Anchorage and this North Pole um, base, and while they're up there, they fly the scientists out to find out what this thing is that landed because it had a very erratic pattern, not like a meteorite. And what they discover is a flying saucer actually buried under the ice. It, it, it hit the um, ground so hard and so hot that it melted all the ice around it and is now submerged. They try to remove this from the ice, and in doing so, using thermite bombs, they end up blowing up the spaceship because it reacts with the thermite. So at that point, they figure, well, we've lost it all. But then one of the soldiers sees something under the ice, and they find that the occupant of the spaceship was thrown clear of it or tried to escape and also got frozen in the ice. So they dig him out and take him back in a huge block of ice to the, um, to the station to await permission to thaw him out and do exper- you know, to find out what he is. Uh, but in perfect uh, military form... <laughs> One of the uh, soldiers left to guard him throws a blanket over the ice block because he's getting the willies from looking at this thing. Uh, an electric blanket, no blanket, less. Yeah, not knowing that it's an electric blanket that's oh. on and it melts the ice, the thing uh, revives and frees itself and starts to cause mayhem. Yeah, well, the American Kennel Association he, he kills a couple dogs. Yeah, they see it. It, it gets attacked sled by dogs. sled dogs. Yeah. They go out. It's killing sled dogs. They find one of its arms lying in the snow. Not the dog's arms. Not the, the dog's arms, but one of the king's arms. arms. Right. <laughs> and actually, we can play this little little sound bite here where they are discussing uh, the, the arm as it's laying on the table. And the one thing that's really interesting about this is to listen to the, the sort of the sort of realistic speech patterns in this movie, people talking over each other. And we'll get into a moment about this sort of caused people to think. So, play that. Where did you find the arm? It was 
partly under what I'm wanted. Could yeah. dogs tear off an arm? This kind of an arm. Be careful, Doctor. Those barbs, whatever they are, are very sharp. Seems to be a sort of chitinous substance. Something between a beetle's back and a rose thorn. Thorn-fingered, huh? Amazingly strong. Very effective if used as a weapon. <laughs> oh, very. We don't have to worry about that. Not with an arm off and out in that cold. He's dead now. He got along all right in a block of ice for every 24 hours. He was pretty spry for a guy with 12 dogs on him. He sure After was. losing an arm. Mm. In my mind. Amazing. Dr. Stern, you have a look at this under the microscope? Mm -hmm. No arterial structure indicated. No nerve endings visible. Porous, unconnected cellular growth. Just a minute. Imagine. Just a minute, doctor. It sounds like you're trying to describe a vegetable. I am. Are you getting all of this? Oh, for Pete's sake. Quiet, Mr. You know, Doctor, that could be why the bullets fired by Sergeant Barnes had no seeming effect. That's right. Merely holes drilled into vegetable matter. It sounds like, well, just as though you're describing some form of super carrot. That's nearly right, Mr. Scott. This carrot, as you call it, has constructed an aircraft capable of flying some millions of miles through space, propelled by a force as yet unknown to us. An intellectual carrot, the mind boggles. <laughs> intellectual uh, carrot, the mind boggles. Yeah, once they're through with their minds boggling, uh, they <laughs> discover that it's becoming this cat and mouse game. This thing, even though it is a huge vegetable, is very intelligent and begins sort of surrounding, sort of, you know, blocking them into their little ice palace. Um, it's, it's killing, it begins killing people and drain, hanging them upside down and draining their blood to begin growing little things in the greenhouse because that's how it propagates. Uh, so the head of the the Air Force, the uh, Colonel Hendry, decides that, or Captain Hendry, excuse me, decides that they have to get rid of this thing. They rig this big electrical trap to catch the thing, and, and it's all, like I said, cat and mouse, back and forth. Um, of course, the Air Force saves the day at the end, and uh, they destroy the thing in a blaze of electricity, and we're left with the, uh, the uh, what is it, the statement to watch the skies, because they're Watch out the there. skies. Just keep watching the now, skies. You know, when you, when you hear about this movie, we're talking about a vegetable that's killing everybody. <laughs> um, it's, it's very important to put this movie in the proper context. Um, this is 1951 when this movie came out, and it came out shortly before The Day the Earth Stood Still, which was one of the movies we have on the list, too. And uh, what you got to realize in this movie is that they're talking about the posture and the whole tone of this picture is all there. You see these guys in their Air Force garb. They have their leather jackets on, and they fly in there. And a lot of the shots, they're just in a cargo C-47, but they look like they're in a bomber. And um, what we're what we're looking at here is the end of World War II where the victors, the supreme victors, is there anybody that can beat us? Is there anybody? Maybe a man right. from Mars. And then they right. go up, unlike the day the Earth is still, um, this thing comes in. At the Arctic area where there's no people anywhere. So they take these guys and they put them in this this place where there's nothing. And and there's of course there's one woman who is surrounded by <laughs> at least twenty-five guys who do not know how to please her. And um and she's dressed appropriately and she just makes the rounds. And you think this is just this is her way of getting a husband. No, 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 no. We're gonna deal with an alien. Oh, and what is what is that gal's name, by the way? Um, Great name. Her, her, the, uh, the, uh, the on-screen name. I think she's Trouble. That's what she is. Her name is Trouble. Oh, it's Nikki. Nikki. <laughs> and and she has this tea uh, burned onto her forehead as she walks around. Tea. Um, <laughs> it rhymes with pool. Yeah. <laughs> 
anyway, I love it. It's such a rare. It's Nikki is not a very dramatic, or, and, you know, um, drama ready name. Yeah, I'm going to talk about a boring thing here, and then George is going to talk to you about somebody tied to a chair here in a second. <laughs> and um, Nikki, of course, is tied to a chair in the movie. No, it's the boy. But it? one of the things I do like about this movie, from a from a, a um professionals kind of standpoint is the way this guy he's an editor christian ivy is an editor and he always gets kind of a bad rap um for not directing this picture but in the beginning of this movie what's really cool is they take their good old time showing you they they, they isolate you in this arctic atmosphere and then you see them go out to find this thing this is one of my favorite parts of the movie although there is a great scene where our our man james arness who was mr dylan and gunsmoke Comes that, through the door. He's the monster. Yeah, it, James Arnett plays the monster. This 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 one scene in the movie is just the camera's placed in just the right perfect position for him to come through a door. Hi, I'm the monster. It's just so good. But anyway, you'll see this documentary footage that they make where they they make a circle around this spaceship and you can see how big it is. And they're telling you this incredible story within a story because it's supposed to be documentary footage. And it's just you know, nicely played out and so nicely cut together by this Christian Nyby fellow who directed this movie. Actually, despite not liking the film, I thought that was very powerful. This where they really all were like, each of you find the perimeter and then they find themselves standing in a big circle to trace this pattern and, frozen and under the eyes. And they take you into where this creature is in the... In the ice, and and the guy, like George, he throws a blanket on it, and you can't see it. Right, and it's interesting that when you mentioned this the scene about the uh, the circle, it's also driven by this this amazing score by Dmitry Tiomkin. Yeah, who is uh, a very famous. He'd done tons of Warner Brothers stuff. The guy has been around the block so many times he was bumping into himself. Right, right? <laughs> and his, his his music, unlike a lot of them, tends to be very almost avant garde at time and very emotional. And this one. It's full of theremins and all sorts of strange instrumentation. Spooky. Sort of clanging. And, and if you can hear it without the movie going, and, and there is a, a CD out of the score, although it's very hard to find now, it's amazing to listen to it because there's so many layers to the music score that are just there in the background just to add to the general bizarreness of the, of the film. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I did find aspects of this visually um, interesting, but I have to say, overall, I found this story to be kind of hokey, kind of just like every other sort of sci-fi thing. That's the because way they... this was one of the first ones, and you've been tainted and contaminated <laughs> right, by all this serial, serial filler, as I mentioned earlier, <laughs> that has gone into your brain. We are here to to meld your mind into the right direction and start getting you to watch these. Yeah. These perfect this, movies first. This is a film, this is a story that has been remade and remade. It and has. To greater and lesser degree. I mean, look at Alien. Alien is the exact same story. I totally thought that, that it's space. lost yeah. within the base. But lost you're not bored on Alien, are you? Oh, I, you know, it's been so many years, I'm not even <laughs> sure. But uh, but that's funny, George, because I really did think that, that it has that same sort of premise as Alien. This certainly must have been copied. But I have to say, I think there's stretches where there's not much going on except for this racy, steamy, swampy thing going on between Nikki and, uh, is it Captain or Captain, Colonel? I, I think it's Captain Hinch. Oh, he's yeah. Captain, yes. Yeah. He's an Air, Army Air Corps Captain. Oh, well, I think yeah. uh, it's Air Force there, Air 1951. Force yeah, no, no, Air Army Air Corps was 48. and now right. they, But they still look like Army Air Corps from World War II. Yeah. Right. And she's tied to a chair, right? Not her, no, he, him. He tied her to a chair. No, no, no. Him to a chair. Yes. And then feeds him liquor. Yeah. It's so bizarre. It is and, just... Yeah, throughout the movie, throughout the first half of the movie, there's this, this sort of underlying tone that, that Nikki and, and Captain Hendry have had this fairly 
uh, brisk relationship, to say the least. <laughs> that started with him not having any memory of their previous date because he drank so much. I thought this was that was the most interesting part about this. this you didn't odd... like when James Arnest came climbing through the door? Spoil. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did rather like that. What do you mean, spoil? Some sort of something. Yeah, the very well, end. It's not every day you get to see Marshall Dillon coming through the door like that. <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole thing with the, the Nikki and Captain Hendry uh, relationship, I mean, that often, a lot of that gets cut out. Out, uh, when oh. they reissued it and when they showed it on television, the whole scene where he is tied to the chair. I have seen this movie removed. quite a few times where that scene is removed. Yeah. In fact, when we were talking about this, I had to be reminded, and of course, my memory is still lapsing here. Yeah. I got the wrong person in the chair. Yeah. I kind of like to see her tied in the chair. I guess. <laughs> That's probably what's going on there, Jay Todd. But she is she's a reason that, that Howard Hawks gets a lot more credit because she is a very Hawksian female character that, that so often shows up in his films. I mean, in things like, um, well, like Bringing Up Baby and, and mm-hmm. uh, Only Angels Have Wings, you know, this, this sort of tough-minded, straight-talking woman who won't take any guff off of anybody. Right. Does very, it. You know, very self-sufficient. Sure. Um, Hawks, I might remind, remind the listener audience out there that he said one very important thing that, that I often think about when we're working on movies and we're storyboarding them is one of his statements was is that you really don't know how big the interior is that you're when you're watching a movie and you see them working in an interior until you show the exterior. Um, if as long as you don't show the exterior, now they do in this movie, of course. But if you don't show the exterior, then you can make your interior with as many labyrinth uh, compartments as you want, and nobody really cares. But the instant you show the exterior, then you're confined to a certain amount of scale when you're working in a movie. Now, I think it's kind of interesting, this thing, the scale is nothing but white snow. And right. then they set the scale by marching around how big this spaceship is. That's pretty cool how they dictate the scale. And then this raging, raging alien who is, you know, kind of a red-baiting kind of guy because that's during the communist era, you know. This is another right, one the, of these Right, the Cold War was really ramping up yeah. at this time, so... He's like, he kind of represents the 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 great unknown enemy. Right? Yeah, 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 very much so, and it's really painted unlike in the day the earth stood still, where he comes to the capital and then and, you know, and then we right. this one here, it's it's isolated incident. Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting that you know this this creature they bring him out, they, he gets unthawed, he immediately attacks them. It's, um, it's a language barrier, and there's a language barrier because <laughs> he's a vegetable. And they can't get rid of him. They yeah. shoot him. They can't get rid of him. And that's like the first thing they do is shoot him instead of you know I don't know I just kill their dogs. Him. Wouldn't you do that? Yeah, that wasn't it before we killed the dogs that they shot him. I'd kill the no, dogs. Somebody shot me. No, no, no. Man. Oh, was they it? Kill, All right. He gets first. out and he kills the dogs first, yeah. and, and then he kills. <laughs> and, you know, they 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 put two of the scientists in the in the greenhouse, and he kills them. And then he hangs kills the two them. and hangs them upside down to drain their blood out. We're talking about the thing from this another world. It's all black world. and white, folks. Don't worry. Black it won't and you too white, badly. exactly. So the blood looks like shadows. Um, uh, the thing from another world. Uh, tell me again the year, George. 1951. And um, so 1951. There's not a whole lot going on like this kind of movie back then. This is one of the first ones, and uh, uh, George and I were discussing this, and we we don't recall anything before that that depicts you know a lot. Another alien coming into our world from yeah, outer again, space. This is 1951, and it yeah, started the great, great sort of like the, the UFO era, if you will, won't it? I mean, the, then UFO sightings just became rampant, didn't correct. they? Yeah, and in fact, it's interesting that, that Hawks tried to enlist the Air Force assistance on this film, but they didn't want to because at that point they had put out the official 
word that UFOs did not exist, which they kind of mock in this film. But we know they do because they're here at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. <laughs> <laughs> I've and been told. And you can told. see the aliens walking the streets of Yellow Springs all the time. I mean, you, know. you can see them morph in and out. There is a hangar over at Wright-Patterson, and the aliens are in there. <laughs> it's filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. And uh, the thing from Another World, George, you gave a little hint that there was, I was asking if uh, from Another World was a tag to distinguish it from some other thing? Yes, there is. Um, originally, the film was just called The Thing, but at about the time that it was to be released, Phil Harris, the, the sort of band leader and pop singer of the time, uh, released a comic song called The Thing. <laughs> Um, which became a huge hit, and Hawks and whomever at RKO was like, oh, we need to distinguish ourselves from this song. So they added the From Another World at the bottom of the uh, of the opening credit. And you can kind of see when you watch it, it's a different type style, and it doesn't really match the, the letters that kind of burn in at the beginning. By the way, does either of you know what that little trick was? It was an interesting trick because you can see things dripping. How did they do those letters? That, I don't know. That is you know that, that opening trick. title sequence is still one of my favorites. It's really good. Um, right, that's what you're talking about. The opening, yeah, yeah. Right. And, it's and so that music and everything. That... It's just so cool where that light is blowing through yeah. there. When, and if um, you look closely, you can see that the black part is actually dripping. So it's something. It's a physical process that they've used. That uh, John Carpenter, when he remade this in the '80s, um, the one thing that he definitely kept from the original film was the opening title. Hmm. Yeah, you because know, John Carpenter, we, uh, George and I liberally lambaste sequels on this show because there's no room for most of the sequels that are patterned after our perfect, well, not ours, but the perfect movies on our list. And we will, I, I like to say that John Carpenter's version of this is really good. It's just a very, very clever remake because this, this movie was in it was really intrinsic with its time of the red baiting and um, you know they're coming to get us and right. even the story is called uh, who, goes who goes there, there? which is really cool it's just a great name but and John Carpenter's version is really terrific it's it's worth if you want to watch have a good night I mean um, now keep in mind we like this movie but Nikki doesn't of course um, <laughs> she probably will like the sequel because it has more action and uh, more glory it's just right, it's better done is... the special effects are, are far superior but the story is still very solid he's very respectful of Christian Nivey's effort well and the, the big difference was that the story the who goes there was written by John Campbell who was a, a, a major a major player in the, the science fiction world and uh, the story that he wrote is considerably different from the first version of the film, because in the story, the thing can change form, and it can look like people. And that's kind of what Carpenter did, right? Cool. So, I yeah. mean, it even more plays into the, the Cold War, because suddenly it's like, you don't know who your friend is. Could be your year, neighbor. Can you remember what year was the Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Uh, 56 or 50. It's later. I believe. It's a long... It, you're, you'll notice... Um, you could probably go down and check out at least seven movies that deal with the communist um, uh, red baiting or yeah, that, that one invader from called? Mars by aliens, and this is like this alien motif. Yeah, this becomes... is how they got through it. Yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, when I was in college, um, we had a series of all these movies from the fifties, and they were always dealing with the communist scare. And then this sort of like gave way eventually to sort of like the psychological drama, didn't it? I mean, this sort of like was the beginning well, yeah, of a, a movement character. that took. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Intelligent carrot. <laughs> we also should mention, though, as we spoke earlier, uh, Howard Hawks is given a lot of yeah. credit for this. We movie. we will go to the mat for Christian Nyby here. Yeah, and in fact, I, I even read that in an interview, James Arness said that although Hawks was on the set a this lot, this is Marshall Dillon, and right. Marshall Dillon doesn't lie. 
And uh, <laughs> he said, although Hawks was on the set a lot, it was Christian Nyby who directed the film. Well, so. and that's and that's how it's credited here. But then subsequently, they've given Coke credit. And they just love to get Coke. bent out of shape well, over this. You and know, they've also, critics do. For a while, a lot of people were were speculating that Orson Welles worked on this film, and they uh, that was for like where if you listen to the dialogue, the sort of overlapping dialogue throughout the film is very much a Wellsian thing, a thing that he does in his films. But again, that has pretty much been discounted recently. I don't know why Wells would be working on it. And I don't know why he'd be working for RKO, because they fired him. Or Howard Hawks, for that yeah. matter. You know? <laughs> Who gets up to these little conspiracies? Imagine Orson Welles and Howard Hawks, two cats in a bag on a yeah, side. Yeah, exactly. Pretty wild. <laughs> One I would know. I'll take Pass me the wine, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, let's uh, consider now in the, in the bigger picture whether or not uh, this uh, justifies its status. I'd like to hear. Uh, it creates the world. I guess I'll give you that. Well, it does. I it mean, does. Yeah, they, they How put can them on this. Beat a guy in the Arctic Circle. <laughs> There's nothing out there but the one monster. woman. I don't. And ever a lot buy, of guys. I don't and, ever. And uniform. <laughs> I don't ever buy the monster. I don't. I, at no point do I buy that monster. I'm not sold at all. Well, you know, some people have. Their imagination has enough breath <laughs> to ensconce that there is a fact. There it could possibly be a person made of vegetable matter, or as they say in the movie, vegetable matter. I love that he's. The implication is that he's green on the movie posters. Isn't he green? And then, then subsequently, yeah. all aliens that people saw were well, you green. Barely, you barely see him in the movie. You just barely see James Arness. And like I said before, my favorite scene in the movie is where he comes through the door. It's so classic. You put the camera and they time it perfectly. You can't see him, right, George? Well, oh no, you see him clearly, but they also they, they kind of drop some sort of diffusion over him when they open the door to, to deliberately blur his. People image. at CBS, we don't want you to know that he's on a big, you know. They did a good job of keeping the him in suspense. I'll say, like holding yeah. back the actual visual of him. All right, how about uh, sustaining that world? Uh, well, I'd say so, since no. they're trapped there. Yeah. Well, other than the monster being, and it set, sustains that world because it sets the tone for that era of of what's going on. Which in the would be States. rule number three, which definitely gives us a glimpse into what yeah, was happening. Sometimes you have to kind of work at these movies a little bit, folks. You can't be mindlessly entertained. You have to kind of, you know, start looking at the history of the time it's made, not from revisionist history eyes. You have right. to kind of say. This what happened before this? Nothing, you know. In this this sort of film, um, that's what you. That's what we challenge our audiences. Look at them like that. Go read. This is a film that does need, in some ways. I mean, you can enjoy it just as it is. But if you look at it in the context of, of 1951 when it came out, it was quite it was quite spectacular, because it was you know it was one of the first ones to talk about strangers coming. To us. And look at the tone of this picture. This is absolute fright of what's coming down. And they had no idea what they were dealing with. You know, you have to examine these these pictures for what they were when they were made. All right, I'll give it to you. We've been talking about The Thing from Another World on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I will definitely give you, there were parts of this movie that were very, very good, but there's just something about the overall tone that just did not did not stay afloat for me. But well, nowadays when they're stacked around looking at stuff, it's usually a computer screen. May, may I add one enough. little comment yes, here? Yes. Oh, this is great. I just, I'm, I'm sitting in front of my computer, of course, and my mom was listening to this program right now <laughs> just sent me a message that says george in 51 we had imaginations we didn't need to see the monster 
Oh, very so interesting. Of course, you, someone who is there. You terrorized her, though. <laughs> <laughs> she saw the monster. Hey, we've been talking about The Thing, another perfect movie on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYS. So listen, if you have any thoughts on this movie or would like to see all the other movies that we've reviewed so far, please stop by the website, perfectmovie.net, or drop us a line. Film Guys would love to hear from you. Perfectmovie.net is the website. So Film Guys at perfectmovie.net. You can catch us at NPR.com. Org at iTunes.com or is that is that the website officially? I never go there. Probably. We're having a little problem with our NPR. IT, uh, On the we're going to have that straightened out soon. Uh, but it, when all else fails, go to perfectmovie.net. Or of right. course, iTunes is actually a program you can download from Apple.com. There we go. Or of course, come right here to WYSO.org. Gentlemen, as always, a pleasure. Are we tipping our hand uh, for next week? Yes, we are. We're going to do Fellini's Eight and a Half. Ooh. Ooh, uh, doing a foreign film, folks. Foreign film. Stay tuned for that. And as always, uh, thanks for stopping by. Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. George Willeman, bye-bye. Bye-bye. J-Taz, see ya. Attente pour Shana Jouva. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of... Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.